New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. The MLS season is underway. We talked about it a bit yesterday, but we're going to go in-depth today. Joe had a strong first 15 minutes of yesterday's show and then needed like 45 more minutes today to get all of his thoughts out. Speaking of which, Mr. Haterade himself, Joe Lowry, is joining me. Joe, you wrote the Hater's Guide to MLS. I'm going to assume amongst the many... Uh, things that provoked a negative reaction, saying that Austin uh, are not much better than they were last year and they weren't even that good last year, <laughs> did not get you a ton of likes in Austin. No, I, I don't think it did. I already don't think I, I get very many likes in Austin. I think that's pretty much true for like everyone who covers Major League Soccer outside of Austin, which is great. They got a passionate fan base. I love it. I would like to go to a game at Q2 at some point and, and, uh, and have a good time there. Taylor, I thought you were going to say... I, I only had 15 minutes in me yesterday because I'm in preseason form, which if we were doing any sort of like athletic activity would very much be the case. I've gone on two runs oh over boy. the last like week and I've twisted my right ankle on both runs. So I twisted my ankle the first run, like almost all the way through it and then just, you know, sat out the rest, obviously. And then yesterday I go out and run again after I'm healed up. And I twisted again. So Taylor, I, I am still in preseason form, I guess, at this point, but I'm, I'm stoked to be back talking MLS. Two ankles on two runs is a special kind of ability. It confused our other uh, host for the day, <laughs> the conductor of the Klaus Hype Train, Mr. David Goss. David, it's great to have you with wow. us, my friend. what an intro. I did not see that one coming. And I think for myself, Klaus, and especially his mother, who in the group chat were all pretty close, uh, I think we're really going to appreciate that. So thank you. I guess the confusing part to me was you're running in a straight line, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh... <laughs> I, so we, we were we were talking about injuries a little bit before the show, and uh, I think we sort of moved on by the time I was going to add this nugget in, but I, I just have bad ankles, so I played basketball growing up. Uh, I mean, I'm not very good, but especially through high school, and I, I would get my ankles taped before every game and like ankle braces, all that jazz, and I would still manage to turn my ankles. So the first one, I was running along the street, and you know, there's the asphalt, and then there's the sidewalk, and there's that little in-between where mm-hmm. it goes down from being asphalt and starts like you know the, the upturn to the sidewalk. That was the first one. And the second one was a gravel road. And I guess the rock was just a little bit too big. And my <laughs> oh, ankle decided no. to phone the rest of the run in. So we were we had a quarter mile left in our three-mile run. So I, uh, I stopped at 2.75. Who's the we there? Oh, my wife and I, yes. D- did she, like, piggyback you home? How did that work out? No, I mean, we were close enough to the end. Like, she's a way better runner and athlete than I am. So she, like, had another, you know, several miles in her. But we were close <laughs> enough back to, to where we started that we just sort of walked the rest of the way. Oh, man, we do need to talk MLS, but now I just have more questions for Joe. Joe, when y'all started running together, I feel like I ran with a girl that I was into in college once, and she was a cross-country runner. And I just remember having to pretend like I was totally cool and not about to die <laughs> the entire time. For you, when you first started running, were you you like able to keep up? Did she know the limitations? How did that uh, work for you? I'd like to think that she knew the limitations. I never, uh, I never attempted really to like pretend that I was this big macho runner guy. I uh, the, the first time that we ran together and she started to talk and like have a real conversation as we're running laps at a track, I thought to myself, "What on earth is going That's on? Like I cannot do this. You're not to supposed do. to do yeah. this. People can run or they can talk. They cannot do both." Uh, but but now we we are at a roughly similar level, at least at being able to talk while there's Has, running going on. How, do either of you do long distance races? Have you ever? I, no, I've done a ten k. Okay, as far as so I my wife when we met was training training. And you're listening to a podcast, so I'll I'll warn you that yes, I did air quotes for a half marathon, and she like ran three times and then ran the half marathon. What? And so I forever was intimidated by her in terms of running. Yeah. And so what I do because I'm also an idiot is I sprint at the start of a run and then get tired. So I try and show my dominance by being fast oh, yeah. early, and then I tail off later. But I'm like. 
I'll say after the run, like, well, we both have our strong suits. Like, I'm faster, but you're, you can run longer. You, you do the uh, the sprint to the taxi cab that takes you to Pretty the finish much, line, yeah. then you hop out. That's how it works. <laughs> that so is that's the what strategy. You do. Yeah. That's what you do when you're running with your wife. What do you do when you're running with your life partner, Bobby Warshaw? Do you guys talk along the way, or do you kind of keep it silent for most of the run? Exercising with Bobby is one of the most <laughs> depressing things in the world. The w- and I think you've said this actually on a show. The way he encourages you, you can feel the disappointment in his voice oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. badly. <laughs> Um, and you know, he'll just say things like you have one more in you knowing you don't and like saying it in a fake positive way. And you know that he knows that you don't have one more in you. And yeah, it's, it's pretty bad, but it gets the best out of you. I think one time we played pickup and it ended uh, afterwards with Bobby saying to me like, no, if you thought you played a good game, that's great. <laughs> like it was something like that. It was a very, it was a very uh, subtle burn from Bobby Warshaw, who I hope is listening. And if he is, I'm assuming I will hear about it on my phone. Oh, For wow. now, though, gentlemen, wow. less exercising talk. Let's just sit in front of mics and talk about Major League Soccer for a moment. Uh, David, I did listen to Extra Time, so I know this is a question you've sort of already answered. I'll go to Joe first and give you some time to think about it. Joe, what was your just favorite thing? from the opening weekend just the games being back like i love i I have this irrational love for major league soccer i can't explain it i mean i guess there's probably a few different reasons for it but i'm just so happy that the games are back that my my favorite soccer league is being back and being played on the weekends again i really missed like getting to watch these games and and nerd out over them and all that jazz if if i've got to be more specific than that because i feel like that's kind of a weak answer I, i i always love seeing the new teams with new coaches, right? So seeing St. Louis, and, and obviously they're the best example of this because we've never seen them play a soccer game before with this combination of players, but seeing Wilford Nancy in Columbus or seeing you know Ben Olsen in Houston, just seeing all the different, and I know there's others that I didn't name, but people get the idea, seeing all of the different new sets of tactics, and sometimes it's not so different from the previous regime. Sometimes it's a lot different from previous coaches and, and previous iterations of these teams. But I like getting to learn more about what we're going to see and what these coaches are trying to build. It's kind of like getting on the ground floor, right? I don't know if any of these teams are going to be good with these new managers. A couple of them probably will be. But, you know, if they are, like if we're seeing Wilfred Nance and Columbus become kind of the next big coach coming out of Major League Soccer, like getting this early info is something that I really enjoy and and appreciate getting to see in the early stages of the season. Man, that stock's going to be expensive to get the Wilfred Nance stock off Joe Lowry in a few years. It's (laughs) going to be tough. I'm going to be inflating the stock price even after a game against Philly where the first half was pretty good, the second half wasn't so good. I'm just going to say that it was a great performance so that that stock price uh, continues to climb. So it's funny. I was going to say... The same, which is the games being back, was number one. But my number two actually was Philly, which was Hmm. um, it's really fun to see new teams. It's really fun to add new quality to the league. But you need excellence, right? You need something to compare up and coming and underdogs to. And I thought Philly would be that, but I wasn't sure. And dropping a four spot between the 35th minute on against Columbus was that. And I'm excited that Philly are going to be the giant this year where you're going to have new coaches go to Philly and struggle to a 2-1 loss and say, we played well, right? Or have Philly at home and get a tie and be like, that's a good result because it's Philly. And I would add, there are so many new markets in MLS and there's so many new stadiums and they sell out and it's exciting. I never really thought Philly would be that. And so for the first game of the season when it's freezing and freezing rain to be sold out and dupe and the music and all of that, I was at the playoffs down there last year. I went two years ago as well, and I was pretty amazed by what it is. But for a regular season game, you know, when the Sixers are playing at the same time and the, you know, the Flyers are on, like, it matters there now. And that is a guaranteed good watch. And I thought it would be coming into the year, but you're not, gar- you're not sure yet. And so it was, I think it was really fun to see that go down. Joe, are they uh, near the top or at the top of your sort of power rankings if you were to assemble those? Is Philly the kind of standard bearer for you? I I think they kind of have to be at this point, especially when you have the two L.A. teams not playing this weekend. Philly go out and and are one of the two best teams in Major League Soccer last season. They come out and, like I said, drop four goals in really the last two-thirds of that game. They have to be the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. You know, Maybe Seattle's got a bit of a shout in in the West, although I want to see more of them, and I want to see them really survive for a while without losing a bunch of players to injury, which it kind of feels like we're already maybe not on the best route based off of preseason and some of that stuff. But Seattle looked really good. I am still a, a high on LAFC. I think Cincinnati are are maybe just one half tier below Philly. 
although they have fewer competitions to play in. But yeah, I mean, Taylor, Philly, with how they played this weekend and from all of, I mean, they brought back everyone from last year. <laughs> it's only Paxton Aronson who didn't play. And I, I mean, a couple other pieces. But like, the court is there. And then they Matt added Freeze a guy. Is, is hurt, Joe. Yeah, I know. Hey, right hey, now. true. I, I, man, I did Matt Freeze dirty right there, Taylor. Um, I mean, and then they, they bring in another, like, attacker in a totally different profile than anyone they've had since Ilsenio left. And Ilsenio was, was really must watch TV when he was with Philly. And Joaquin Torres comes in. And all of a sudden, like, I think it was literally his first touch of the game. It was seconds yeah. after he comes on the field. He gets the ball in a tight spot, spins out of pressure, and threads a through ball in behind for an assist. And it's like, what, what is going on right now? <laughs> like, how did Philly avoid being stale from last year? Because I do think that's a real concern when you bring back everyone and, and you have the same voice and the same voices in the front. Office. I mean, I think that it can be difficult to sustain that success. We're seeing that right now in, in England, I think, with, with Man City and, and especially Liverpool. It can be difficult, but Philly just hit a, a tiny little refresh or a retool and brought back all of their really most important players from last season, and they look, yeah, they look like the standard bear. And this is this is where MLS is going to get more fun, and for people that cover it like us, um, maybe me and Joe in this setting, I don't think Taylor's got his depth charts and contracts laid out. Uh, we're getting <laughs> more information. How dare you? Do you Taylor, do you, who, what's your favorite contract <laughs> in MLS? Oh, they're also good. It's tough to distinguish. <laughs> Sound like a true owner on that one. I don't think any of the players would agree with you. Um, but but there's more information available to us now. That's kind of been one of the problems with MLS. We're getting contract years, guaranteed years, money, all these things. Now you see what's possible with Philly, which is what Joe said, a, a slight refresh because they sold young players and they were able to, on allocation money, afford trades in MLS to bring depth in, to revamp the squad. The, your academy can work in two ways, right? The players can affect your team, or their, the money from their sales can affect your team. Philly's done both. They've been able to use Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson to win. They've been able to use Jack McGlynn to win. But they're also now using Paxson Aronson, who, as Joe said, didn't really play last year. And quite honestly, looked very bad in MLS Cup and probably was one of the reasons they weren't able to get over the hump because they didn't have enough in stoppage or in extra time to get over LAFC because their depth wasn't the same. But they use that money now to go out and get Torres and Damian Lowe and these other players who are ready to be difference makers now for them. Not as studs, not as starters, not as DPs, but enough to get Philly from where they are to where they want to be. Thank you for that, Mr. Goss. Uh, speaking of that, I think I've called you David uh, like for every single part of this show so far. I don't feel comfortable with that. I've never called you David before. You're Goss from now on. Uh, Goss, with that in mind... Is this uh, a Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali situation right here? Uh, sure, you're converting to the Nation of Islam, and thus I must call you Goss. Yes, I'm also the greatest exactly athlete for. of all time, and therefore <laughs> iconic in my name. Yes, I think we've covered that already with uh, with your with your running habits yes, and training with Bobby Warshaw. That you're the greatest sure. athlete of all time. Uh, that is a pretty surprise revelation. Uh, what was the biggest surprise for you from Match Day One? Positive, negative, individual, whatever it may be, wherever you want to go with it. I think you have to start with St. Louis for an expansion team to go on the road and win Week One. That's pretty iconic in MLS history, and for a team like St. Louis to do it is even bigger. But I think the biggest thing that stood out was the way they did it. And I've known Bradley Carnell for a while. Um, I've sort of worked alongside him covering his teams when he's been with Red Bulls. And I know a lot of people that think highly of him. I had expectations for this team, but I picked them last in the Western Conference because I didn't know what else to do with them. And it wasn't guarantees, um, but they played more than I expected in this game. It wasn't just dump and press and dump and press and try and steal chances offset pieces. There was a ton of movement. There was a ton of interchange, especially in the second half. I thought with the subs coming on, especially Nicholas Joachini, who was impressive to go on the road at Austin, second place team in the Western Conference last year, won a playoff game at home and win. That's something fairly unprecedented when you look at the expansion teams over the last 10 years. LAFC went and did this in Seattle, where Diego Rossi scored a golasso set up by Carlos Vela under Bob Bradley. And, and no offense to St. Louis, but... I don't think those superstars are there. So to be able to do this and, and put this down as your first win and, and all those moments, it's going to live long in history um, for them. And it wasn't something anyone could have anticipated. 
Joe, I'd love your biggest surprise moment, but I wanted to stick with St. Louis because I think we were equally down on them. There was a feeling, at least for me, I think for you as well, that it was going to be a lot of like pressing and maybe not a lot of substance behind it. We weren't quite sure what they were going to look like. And to Goss's point, it wasn't just dumping and pressing. It was actually playing. Is that something you saw as well? Is that something you would expect to continue to see from them? Yeah, it it, it is on both fronts there. So I, I didn't expect to see... Edouard Leuven looks so good and so controlling in central midfield. Uh, I talked about this with, with Jordan Angeli recently. You know, he's, he's bigger than I expected him to be. He's like, Jordan used the word thick, and he's like, he's like a meaty <laughs> dude, right? He's like, he's like a tree trunk out there. I didn't expect that, and I didn't expect him to be quite so, so soft with the ball at his feet. So I liked Leuven. I think when you have him in midfield, you know, there is a lot of reason to sort of take a half step back when you have the ball and to actually play a little bit. Not that St. Louis didn't go direct, because they did, and they are vertical, and they are still going to press and be sort of their own variant of the Red Bull system. But, I mean, yeah, Taylor, th- this is my surprise as well. Houston, I thought, was, is maybe a like number two or, or somewhere behind St. Louis on this list. They looked a little bit better than I thought they would. I'm still concerned about them without, like, a real quality winger, although maybe Ivan Franco is that player. He, I, think, I thought he had a decent game against Cincinnati. But Corey Baird, I'm just not sure, is it at this point in MLS's development. But, I mean, St. Louis is is the main story here. I thought Klaus Klaus is really good. Um, so Goss, that group chat must have been going off. <laughs> I thought he had an excellent game. And and same with Loven. A lot of the pieces are there. I will say at the same time, let's not pretend like they weren't gifted this result in some ways because they were right. I mean, uh, Kip Keller had an unfortunate day that I'm sure he will like to forget very very quickly. But it's not as if St. Louis just totally outclassed Austin. I'm not sure that either team played great. St. Louis probably played like a little bit better and were more impressed with them because they're the new thing and they're the shiny toy. But I want to see more from St. Louis before we say, oh, this team is for sure going to be outside of wooden spoon contention. I just think it's too early. I think the building blocks are are there. Some of them are there and fans should be encouraged. But we just need another few weeks and a few less uh, blind back passes to your best friend. Here's the obvious question that we need to resolve now. What is the difference between a thick boy and an absolute unit? Like, mm. if, if Edward Levin, uh, my quick Google search tells me he's six foot two, two 201 pounds, is that absolute unit? I feel like you got to have a little more size on you to really get to that level. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think thick is like one half step below absolute unit. I think to be an absolute unit, and gosh, uh-huh. feel free to jump in. Like, I know you have a lot of expertise <laughs> in this category, but I think you also need to be like jacked a little bit. And soccer players outside of Adama Traore, I feel like don't tend to be jacked. So maybe that's True. where the absolute unit tier sort of starts is when, when you're a little more ripped. I, don't, I mean, I'm not an expert here, but that's just I, my two cents. I'm just shocked Taylor thinks that any of that is properly reported. 6'2", 201 pounds. Like, <laughs> you know that they control what gets he's actually, out there. He's actually 5'7", 150. Yeah, that's not <laughs> from his that doctor. That's not an official report. That's you guys pretty don't have FDR. his doctor? No, I literally texted his doctor. I don't know what you're talking about. As I hold up my blank phone. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I, I, need, I need listeners who cannot be viewers to know how... G- Goss just had a look on his face like, is that what I've signed up for being on this show? No, to, I'm to- here for it. I just... The reaction was I was waiting to see how Joe was going to name my expertise in this area Mm -hmm. because I thought he was going to say as an experienced thick boy, where do you (laughs) think he stands? I think you're a a noted unit expert. That's that's what I think we'll have to go with. Uh, We're going to take a break to to collect ourselves and then we'll come back to answer some more questions uh, and review MLS Week 1. Back soon. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. 
And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker-dealer. Welcome back. Uh, gentlemen, I've never hesitated from jumping in uh, to, you know, like pr- premature conclusions about a team after uh, one week. I asked Sam Ty once after the first Champions League uh, group stage game who he thought was going to win the whole thing. And he looked at me like, really? That's where we're going with this? <laughs> but that is where we're going with this, Joe. When I ask you, with the caveat that it's one weekend, lots will change. Which team do you look the most polished already? And why is it the Philadelphia Union? It is. It is the Philadelphia Union, but because we spent so long talking about them, I will talk about the team that I think is second behind them at this point, and that's the Seattle Sounders. So I'll admit, and I'm not ready to fully back down from this yet, but I think I talked about it in our previews. Maybe it was on the Patreon in the VSP section. I kind of talked about how I think Seattle might be on the downward slope a bit because MLS teams have had time to catch up. They've had time to build rosters. Some are spending more money, and so they're doing it less efficiently, but when it's your owner dropping dropping the cash, it doesn't really matter a whole lot as long as they're willing to continue to do that. So my theory coming into this year that I'm not ready to dispatch yet because I think the Colorado Rapids might just be that bad. But I think other teams might be sort of starting to level out to Seattle and we're sort of seeing the scales tip back to a more even playing field. That said, I mean, this looked like the Seattle team that won CCL. I mean, they beat the Colorado Rapids 4-0 on Sunday night. They looked good. I mean, without Raul Ruiz Diaz, a bear looks like an upgrade on any other backup nine they've had since Ruiz Diaz has been there. Jao Paulo being healthy, of course, makes a massive difference because he's one of the best deep-lying midfielders in Major League Soccer. There's a lot to like about this team. Jackson Reagan is, I think, looking improved pretty much every time I see him. Yaimar, at his best, is one of the best center backs in the league. There's a lot of pieces here that I really, really like. And they kind of took Colorado to task on Sunday. And they should, right? They're the more talented team. They're the more experienced team. They've had more time to gel. It is a very similar group to the one that was in Seattle last year. Not that that one did very well after May. But still, like, there's a lot to like about Seattle right now, even if it's just for the fact that they're going to, they're going to get off the, uh, the runway faster than most other teams in MLS because they have a lot of that experience. And, and you can add the Club World Cup, right? They've already played yeah. a high-level game. They had to train at a level. They were closer to where they want to be in game one. I'm wondering, though, on the Seattle thing, where who do you think has caught them? Because obviously last year was a down year, and there are holes in this roster. But in my mind, it still feels like Seattle, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth best player on the field, are better than everyone else's seventh, eighth, ninth best player on the field. I I think that is no longer true for Philly and probably for Cincy and and just really the the teams on top of both conferences. I think those teams are are level, if not more talented at this point uh, than than Seattle as they age. But gosh, it's a fair point, especially in the West, which I think is pretty weak. Like you get Mm -hmm. outside of the two LA teams, which we haven't seen yet, but I have solid expectations for both of those teams. Maybe Sporting Kansas City, but they didn't look particularly strong, at least not for 90 minutes on on Monday against Portland. They lose that game and they don't have any center backs, right? So Seattle's roster is still more cohesive. I just I just am not totally sold on them being able to do it for a full season. And if they're in the Eastern Conference, I think we're seeing this team probably outside of the top four, or at least having to fight to be in the upper echelons of the Eastern Conference, rather than probably the, the second, third, or fourth best team in the West. I think some of that's fair, Joe. I, I think I have more confidence still in the pieces on this team. I still think Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan and Albert Rusnak are game changers at the level they are on this roster versus other opponents at a higher level. The other thing that I find interesting with Seattle is they have great depth to replace starters. They don't have good depth to affect games. Hmm. I don't In the last 20 minutes of a game, I don't think they have game changers off the bench. But over the course of 34 games, I would rather insert a Josh Atencio or Kellen Rowe right now, Ariaga and Eber as a backup to start a game over anyone pretty much that anyone else in the West has on their roster. And I would say even if you went to, obviously, Philly had incredible health last year, so you didn't really have to test this Cincinnati as well. I don't know if you lose a lot of pieces, if you lose anyone in central midfield, that I trust anyone else. So that's where I think Seattle still sort of sits a tier above a lot of teams. 
is their professional depth and their ability to maintain their level over the course of a season. They've never really challenged for a supporter shield. This would be the year to do it because they didn't play in the playoffs last year. They had the rest. They had the time off. They are cohesive. They should be looking to stack points early in this season to put themselves in that conversation. So it sounds like you're both pretty pleased with their depth, their starting 11, the talent they have, some of the acquisitions they've made. Uh, Joe, we had a question from Rowdy uh, Frazier on Twitter. How has Seattle changed tactically now versus last year? Again, it's one game, but what differences are you seeing from them versus the team that didn't qualify for the playoffs? And this actually is where I will tie in the, the Club World Cup match as well that Gus just referenced. So I think that's when we saw the tactical tweaks more than what we saw against Colorado. So Brian Schmetzer has talked about, you know, maybe MLS teams have figured us out a little bit, and maybe that was part of what was so difficult for them last year where they do miss the playoffs in the Western Conference. Really, the, the one change that I've noticed so far, and it was in that Club World Cup game, is Nuhu basically playing as some folks call it an elbow back, right? So it's, it's a fullback. He's not always bombing up the left side. Instead, he's tucking into the back line to become a third center back in possession. We're seeing a bunch of teams in MLS this year use that particular tactic and also just do a really... A lot of very interesting things with their fullbacks. I've got my eyes on that throughout the season, or I will, over the next few weeks. But Seattle did that a little bit in the Club World Cup. The the problem for them is they don't have any obvious options to be wide, all the way wide on that left side, because Jordan Morris doesn't really want to do that. So I I think it's still a work in progress for Brian Schmetzer. I'm not sure that the the roster is really very well suited to do that thing all the time. But we're going to see them start to go to a back three a little bit more throughout this season than we've seen in years past, outside of the year when they lost Jordan Morris to to injury and they went back three for the full season and had a wing back. So I think this is in between a regular back four and that full on back three. Sorry, uh, Joe, I, I agree with you. And, and then the next piece I saw against Colorado, and I think this was more Colorado specific, hmm. probably their struggles at left back was swapping Jordan Morris and yeah. Christian Roldan yep. because Roldan will hang wider. He also would use the space that knew who's leaving more effectively because he can possess the ball longer it allows a Jao Paulo, a Lodero, or a Rusak to come and be an option with him, or an Eber. And so that's what we saw, and, and it ended up being the, I believe, first goal was Morris on the right side, which we very rarely see, crossing to Roldan, crashing in from the left side. That is actually kind of standard, because normally it's Morris crashing from the left side, so that movement isn't unique. But the positioning of those players is, and I do think that is the next step because Alex Roldan will give you width along the right side. And Jordan Morris has has gotten better using both of his feet. He is still not a left-footed player in any capacity. But coming inside, I think he can finish enough chances either with his right, with his left, headers, whatever it is that a Christian Roldan will set up for him off the left. And that's probably the next piece for Seattle, which is if they can use that, probably not for full games, but 10 minutes, 15 minutes spells, that can probably push teams from feeling comfortable against them, get them opportunities, which readjust the game. Uh, Goss, one more question on Seattle comes from Dan Rossi. As a Sounders fan, how much should I overreact to one game's performance? I have a flight to Philly in my cart for the date of the MLS final. Uh, based on Joe saying that the West is going to be weaker, Dan, I would say that's premature in that Seattle could be hosting. Uh, we, we don't know what will happen with MLS Cup. But yeah, how much should Seattle fans be overreacting uh, to this game? You should be all in. Last year, you got the CCL win. That's all that mattered. And then the team was injured. Like That was the story most of the season was the toll that CCL takes in the injuries. This is a Seattle team that goes to MLS Cup. That's their nature. That's what they do. In bad years, that's what they've done. They've gone and won it without taking a shot on goal. You should believe right now, based off seeing the health, how sharp some of these players look, your belief as a Seattle fan should be that this is an MLS Cup team. Uh, Joe, I'm going to assume that you will agree that Seattle will be good. So I will ask you a different question instead. I asked you sort of which teams looked the most polished already. Let's go the opposite route. Which team looked the least uh, ready for the season? Seems like they had the most work to be done. Do you think that list is a bit longer in my mind? I can already come up with a short list of four or five pretty quickly. Sure. I'll, I'll cut that list of four in half and just do two. I think the answer for me is Toronto FC who just looked, there, there were always two possibilities for Toronto coming into this year, and I'm not sure there was ever really an in-between, at least for the beginning of the season. One possibility is that Insigne and Bernadeschi looked dominant, and that the midfield was really good and cohesive, and the team gelled, and, and the two new center backs and the new left back were all going to come together and help the team build, and Sean Johnson was going to be great in goal. 
I'm not sure that like any of those things were true in their game <laughs> against DC United. Uh, it, we went the other way for Toronto, and the other possibility was Insigne gets hurt, and the wingers look old. Check. The midfield looks old and slow. Double check. The fullbacks in the defensive line isn't cohesive. There are massive gaps everywhere in the press. They don't look purposeful on the ball. I mean, you could run through the list of nightmares for Toronto FC, and all of them happened against DC United. They looked awful. Like, they looked like they are genuine spoon contenders. I don't think they will win the spoon. I think they will probably level out as the season goes on, and maybe even trend further towards that that positive outcome for them this season. But I mean, they are a team that could show up and score four goals on you one game and could come out in the next game and lose by five. So they're, they're one team in that category. And then NYCFC, I have significantly yeah. more faith in NYCFC stabilizing over the next two months before the transfer window closes. And I think April 24th is the date there. They just looked, they looked sluggish with the ball. They didn't look like they fully had, uh, they looked like they were playing the first game of the season. That's the best way I can explain that. And, and the big challenge for them on the personnel side right now is is the attack. It's the number nine. It started with Talos Magno playing up top. Then after 45 minutes, Nick Cushing puts him in the left half space, which is where he's best, and moves Thiago Andrade, who's also not really a number nine, but I think is is going to be better in that role than than Magno until they go out and find an actual number nine now that they've lost uh, Tati Castellanos and Hebert over the last year or so. And then there's no attacking midfielder. It was it was Pellegrini and Andrade, or it was Pellegrini and Magno, kind of in the dual half spaces roles. And there was there was no one that was really like loving to be on the ball in that space. They need a signing there. It sounds like they're trying to get it done. I don't know what's taking so long, but things were rough for for them. They were rough for Toronto. Really, both of those teams wanting to play with the ball. We just need to see better from them. And I think NYCFC are probably on the inside track to being better, faster, and more consistently than Toronto. Why did Ebert score a goal for Seattle this weekend? Like, how does that make any sense for NYCFC? They got 400000 in allocation money for him. I can tell you from talking to people, the assumption is 500000 in allocation maybe gets you a borderline starter right now in MLS. Joaquin Torres was seven fifty. He will not start for Philly. So NYCFC gave up their starting center forward when they have none other on the roster – he makes their best player better by keeping him in his position for the great buyback of not very much value to a team <laughs> that could be a, it just honestly, it's one of those. I'm a Knicks fan. I know Joe doesn't delve into the NBA world very well. Oh, no. so Phoenix I'll Suns, ch- baby. Phoenix Suns. No, I mean, Joe does. My analogies are weak at times, as listeners have pointed out. For yes, sure, no, yeah. I'm, we'll I'm we'll get into the Neymar stuff later. Uh, <laughs> when, when Masai Ujiri calls the Knicks, the Knicks have to go and look at the player and say, what are we missing? Because if this guy wants him from us, that means he's better than we think he is, and we're about to get screwed on a trade. And I do think MLS teams should probably be doing that with Philly and Seattle, and I don't understand what happened for NYCFC, even if they bring Santi Rodriguez in, who's probably the 10 you're talking about, who's been really good for them. This is not a team that's in the realm of where they were the last few years. And a lot of it feels self-inflicted of their players leaving or going to their other clubs versus being forced to do it. Uh, So I don't know that NYCFC has the step up like you talked about, Joe, because over the years they've done this, they've always had that spine. And when I say that spine, I mean Sean Johnson, Alex Collins, and Max Morales. None of them are there. So I don't know that they have the pieces to carry them when new additions come in and settle, and it takes time. And I think NYCFC should be worried. I also would say on the on the last question about being polished, Nashville looked pretty high on that list. Again, is that NYCFC being really bad week one, or is that Nashville being really ready to play? But for them to look that dominant without Hani Mukhtar over the course of 90 minutes and to do it at home where they actually struggled last year, that was a really big result for Nashville, and they're going to need it because, as Joe pointed out, the East is stronger than the West. Did you see differences for Nashville? Like, were there specific players, specific styles of play for them that you thought were an upgrade from what you saw from them last season? Yeah, I think Jack Merrick's going to give them more um, versatility or more athleticism along the back line, which will allow exactly, which will allow them to press a little bit harder and allow their fullbacks to attack. (laughs) Do you not know this story, Taylor? I do not know this story. He basically drinks a gallon of milk every day, but especially for games. And this is the most seems like a bad um, choice. 
What what's the term I would use? This is the most wholesome part about it. He was at Indiana University when he said it. So it was basically like a Bobby Knight commercial for Hoosiers 40 years ago with the milk mustache and everything. When he's, I think he said in an interview. Is that right, Joe? I, I honestly don't remember. I just said it so that hopefully Taylor was going to cut in and go exactly like <laughs> what he said, which was what. And I, uh, I wanted to go through that experience. So thank you. So, thank you, gentlemen. So Nashville, I think you saw Randall Leal. He, he has the capability of being special. He hasn't been in this league. And I think he looked comfortable. He attacked on the half turn. He tried to make things happen. And they've lost ground coverage with Dax and Annabelle Godoy getting older. Sean Davis, he played last year, but it takes time to fit into a team. I think his ability to play at his best in MLS in Nashville will elevate this team to a level they weren't at last year. So all of that was really positive. And again, for them to score a goal without Hani Mukhtar on the field is like a miracle in MLS. So that alone (laughs) will elevate them to week one winner status. I did I did love the the Zimmerman like reaction as though he had scored. He doesn't end up getting the credit for the goal though, right? I think it came back to him. Oh, it did. Okay, all right. It came then, back then around. Even I don't think he deserved it, but as a defender, you got to celebrate, right? Uh, yeah, of course, you absolutely have to. And I hope he celebrates enough that he lures Tim Ream over. This has been my long my long standing dream is to have Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream play together at club level, so we can totally just morph them into one person. I doubt that's less that's as likely to happen as maybe NYCFC signing a striker. Let's go back to that one for a moment. Uh because I think like for me uh, a person who who cares about MLS but doesn't have the ins- like inside knowledge that you two do. I think there would be an assumption that oh, it's NYCFC City Football Group. They're looking for a number 9. They're going to bring in either the next big 21-year-old who they're going to sell on for a ton of money, or they're going to bring in a big name from Europe that will make the team better right away. If you had to guess which one of those do you think is more likely, I'll, I'll let either one of you jump in with that one because I know it's kind of a, a tricky question, but w- what would you expect them to go for in terms of solving that number nine issue? 100% the second one, the young okay. player. This is a club that has acknowledged they are not in the, they're not in the game of the first one anymore and it's where nycfc fits in cfg that's the reality now is they are not trying to turn this team into and maybe this will change when the stadium gets built into a glory team in new york city they're using this team to develop good players to sell or move through cfg so there we haven't really seen them bring a big name veteran in in a while and it'd be shocking if they did and the fear i think for fans would be Talos Magno is one of the best players in MLS. It took him a year and a half. It takes young players a while. I think they will go that U22 route, that U21 route, whatever it is. And I would be surprised if it hits this year. Joe, I'm guessing you would agree. So then my, my final question on, on NYCFC would be, for my preview, it sounded like so much of the plan was Tyus Magno is going to be uh, the number nine. He's going to figure out like a way to play that position the way we need him to so that it all works and he scores the tons of goals and everything is happy. As Goss said, they switch him to a different spot in yeah. that game. Would that be a concern to you? Do you think we'll continue to oh. see him in the number nine? Or do you feel like that is sort of the end of that experiment for the time being? I think it might already be done, which is Yikes. it's kind of crazy to me that, that New York City seemingly spent yeah. so long working on it in training and, and brought it out in the first half against Nashville. I think they might already be past that and, and realize that Magno is that important to them. It's also possible, Taylor, that we'll see some fluidity, right? Because... This team is is kind of, and I think what they were coming into the season thinking is, we can kind of interchange our group of pseudo-wingers. I mean, Gabby Pereira is probably the only like actual threat from starting wide and coming inside. Magno, I think, is is better in the half spaces. I think Pellegrini is better in the half spaces. Andrade is, is maybe kind of in between. But I think there's going to be some natural fluidity there, so maybe we still see him up top at times. But yeah, I, I think Nick Cushing's already over that, which again is just kind of crazy that we saw it in the first place. All right, let's take one more break. We still got plenty of uh, stuff to discuss, plenty of questions to answer. Back soon to do just that. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists. Uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You got to spread the ball around. You got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. 
Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Goss, coming to you for a question from Bradley Schaefer. We're going back to the Western Conference. Were the Quakes good and just unlucky to be beaten by Almeida's uh, wonder goals? Or did they deserve to lose after poor play, particularly in the second half? They were good. Yes can also be an answer. They were good. So take it that way. I think that means I said yes. Um, (laughs) It's tough to go cross country. It's tough to, you know, win in front of 65,000 fans. Um, And it's tough to win in your first game under a new coach. But the things they did were such a vast improvement over last year. The way they built out, especially against pressure when Atlanta tried to press them, was really effective, really clean. And they almost always finished on Espinosa, who's one of the best chance creators in MLS. And they found ways to isolate him and get him chances. And then they defended really cleanly, especially in central midfield. Um, they need to find a way to get more runners in the box when Espinosa's on the ball. It really was just Jeremy Abobasi exclusively. And one of the tough things is going to be they're probably going to live and die on Cade Cowell. And when you do that with a young player, it's going to look like a home run on weeks when they're when he's on. And it's going to look frustrating on weeks when he's off. But the ideas are there for this team. The depth probably isn't. And I think that was a big factor in this game and just physically being able to close it out. And I think... Atlanta subs made a difference, especially in Derek Etienne Jr. and and Miguel Berry, where San Jose couldn't counter those. Um, But this was a good game for San Jose. It was a good start. And this was on a long list of teams where they lost week one, and I was more impressed than the teams that won. Yeah, I I really liked San Jose in this game. I think depth is going to be the biggest thing that hurts them this season. It's a long year. There's going to be multiple competitions for them. I I just don't think the quality is there. They have a couple of of good pieces, but... I mean, they probably only go like three deep off the bench, maybe four that you're comfortable with. And like Goss said earlier, I love I love the way you framed that. You know, outside of Kakanovic, I'm not sure there's any players that you're like, yes, this is what's going to change the game for us. So there is a gap there between San Jose and some of the better teams in the league or even just in the West. But overall, like the identity is there. They're pressing in this 4-3-3 shape that looks like the U.S. men's national team. Makes sense when you think about Lucha Gonzalez and his past uh, on the coaching side. And they're, they're building from the back. Like, you're seeing the talent. I thought Carlos Guerrezo looked very good in this game. Maybe maybe a little slower by the end of it and, and had a couple of moments where he's on the ground dealing with a little bit of a knock. But, I mean, he looked good. And I thought he made Jackson Yule actually look pretty good, which I haven't <laughs> thought about Jackson Yule in a while. <laughs> Yule's playing in, a, in a, like a dual eight system in possession with Yule on the right, Guerrezo behind him to his left, and then uh, Jamiro Montero level with Jackson Yule on the left side of central midfield. And it just looks good, right? If they can figure out a way to get Cade Cowell to not be so spastic all the time, and it feels like that's just going to take a little bit more time as it does with players with his skill set. Like, there's there's a stew here. Like, there is something here in San Jose. I think they deserve three points against Atlanta United. Thiago Almada made sure that they did not leave with any points at all. But, like, Earthquakes fans should be more encouraged now, I think, than they probably should have been over the last, like, five years. I mean, maybe it's way longer than that, but certainly under Almeida, which is really when I I started covering this league in more detail. 
Gus nodding emphatically at that one. I want to stay uh, with San Jose for a moment to talk Cade Cowell. Uh, uh, some people who just watched maybe the U.S. men's national team would have seen him in the January camp or might be less familiar with him. If you all were kind of assembling a scouting report on him for people who are unfamiliar, sounds like streaky, sounds like young, uh, obviously has the great head of hair, lest we yep. forget. Uh, but w- what, are, what would you all sort of say are his defining characteristics and then what are the things specifically that he needs to improve upon? How does he improve upon them? He fast. That's uh, that's like the two word summary for how I would describe Cade Cal. Oh, also he's strong. I mean, he he's is strong. He fast. I, it's a cliche when you're analyzing soccer players, but like that, that's his biggest asset. Is he is in the one percent of athletes uh, of physical specimens in soccer that actually make the difference, right? Soccer is not this game that's all about having your best athletes play, but he is a player that just because of those attributes with a baseline technical level who can impact games. That's a very rare kind of player, but he is in that category. The next step for him is to become like elite, to become a, a, a contributor on a really good European team by elevating his technical level. And I, I'm honestly not sure if that's ever going to happen. It seems like we saw a real step back in that January camp game against Serbia uh, at, at, uh, in, in L.A. I thought he looked really good in that game. We just need to see more, right? That's what I said after that game when you and I talked, Taylor. We just need to see it like... 12 more times over the course of this MLS season. And I'm not really sure that this game against Atlanta was that. It's encouraging that he's getting minutes over you know other wingers in the squad. That means that he's doing good things in training, that Lucci likes him and, and sees a way that he can continue to work with Cade Cowell to develop. But the next step is, is clear. It's just get a softer first touch, be a little bit more effective working out of tight spots, be uncomfortable and grow from those kinds of situations. The talent is just so obvious. It's just that raising the floor on his technical ability that I think is holding him back from going and contributing to a good European team. I also would point out, um, we were all really excited about his performance in the January camp. I know he hit the post three times, but he didn't score, right? Like when you ask what was wrong in this game, it was, well, he could have been effective, but he didn't finish his chance. Like even in his high moment in his young career, he did not score in that game. So that kind of lays it out for you of what the best and worst of him can be. And, as you know, Joe said that first touch, like bring the ball with you. There are moments where he's ready to get off and running, and then all of a sudden the ball's ten yards behind him because his his touch literally doesn't drag the ball with him as he gets started. The other piece I, I think I'm excited to see for with San Jose is his finishing and reactions in the box. If he's going to be that second striker coming off the wing around Abobasi, the way Abobasi's improved since he got to San Jose, if Cade can do a quarter of that, which I think some of it has to do with Chris Wondolowski as your coach and and helping you with reacting, reading players. Like, Cade has two chances in this game where he wasn't balanced to finish because he did not realize the ball was going to fall to him. That doesn't happen to Chris Wondolowski. So if he can start to learn some of that, that can make him more effective, even if he can't beat guys one-on-one as often as we want. It sounds to me, and with the caveat that uh, I am not a person who has their master's degree in Cade Cowellology, it sounds like there are a lot of similarities to Jordan Morris when he's first starting out, that there's a lot of speed, there's a lot of strength, there's maybe not as much technical ability and something that needs to be improved upon, maybe a little bit more consistency in the goal scoring. Is that a fair comparison, do you think? Yeah, the the one difference was Jordan was a center forward being converted to a winger. Cade has played as a winger most of his career, and I think he looks more comfortable out wide, like his body shape looks more natural. But I think that's a good comp of here's the attributes that no one else can get to, right? You can't learn speed. You can't learn strength. He has all of that. Can he get there? Now, what will be fun about this is sort of where we're at in the ecosystem of soccer in this country, which is Jordan didn't get into professional ranks until he was 21. Hmm. And he hadn't really played in a professional academy. And so I think we're going to learn how much quicker can our system get Cade to the level where he can be a difference maker because he's getting more tools at a younger age. And it's actually a pretty good test case, I think, for those guys. Interesting. All right. I I feel like Cade Cowell is one we've heard about for a very long time, or I've heard about for a very long time. I've seen in bits and pieces. I won't claim to have watched a ton of San Jose uh, in years past, but it's one that like I just keep hearing that hype. I keep hearing that excitement about, but I don't feel like I know him all that well. So now I feel like I have a better idea of his profile. Thank you both for that. Uh, Next question from Josh Bishop. Is DC United dot 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 a real dot 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 contender? It was very hard to type that, says Josh. No, says me. Uh, I think I think part of that is rooted in 
my assumption that Toronto would be a good team, that they had put together a lot of pieces and that certainly there was still more to be done, but that they would be one of the better teams in the East or at least be a very improved team in the East. And as you all have already kind of made clear, they were not. And so you're playing a bad Toronto team that has a lot of work to do. I think DC United still scored their goals, still made things happen. It just seems like that's kind of going to be the way this season goes, is a lot of goals for, a lot of goals against, uh, and I guess hopefully a lot of goals for, but it just seems like you've got, what did y'all say on extra time, Goss? It's like 33-year-olds or 16-year-olds and nothing yeah. in between. And uh, the signings, like, since Rooney's gotten there, mm-hmm. Bravo Morrison, apparently not a part of the team. Martin Rodriguez tore his ACL, but... Don't know that he was going to be a factor anyway. Victor Paulson has now started at center back more often than he has started at center mid for this team. Pedro Santos was converted to a left back by Columbus because he's not really a, a difference maker in the final third. He started at left mid. It There isn't a lot of confidence that this team can improve their roster. And it's not, I, I agree with you, there's not a lot of confidence that the pieces that are there are good enough to contend for DC United. So it's MLS. If you try hard, if you play hard and cohesive, you can make a run at the playoffs. And with Christian Benteke in a team like that shouldn't be outside the realm of possibility, but I'd be shocked if it was anything more than that. What is the situation with Ravel Morrison? Cause I read about him being not a very popular figure. That's putting it nicely in the locker room last season that it seemed like he was kind of off by himself pretty frequently. Didn't get along with a lot of people. Uh, is he just fully on the outs now? Yeah, it seems like it. They haven't bought him out, and I do believe they ha- you get one buyout every year in MLS. You can also agree to terminate a contract, which we saw Minnesota did last week. That doesn't count as your buyout. DC's done neither of those, so it's not really clear what's going on, but it's pretty obvious that he's not going to be a part of this team, which is great because that was the first signing that Wayne Rooney made once he got there. So that's been pretty, you know, that that's a good start to the process, I would say. That, that, that was like Sir Alex Ferguson calling him and being like, trust me, he's going to come good one day. Robo Morrison has been about to come good for, I believe, 12 years now. My guess would be Rooney trained with him when he was 16. Yeah, he was good. Sure. And Rooney was like, this guy. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> trust me on this guy. I'm going to bring him back. And that is not how that went down. No. Shocking that DC United have yet to make uh, a decision one way or the other. That's totally not their brand. <laughs> uh, Joe, anything else to add for DC? Uh, wh- wh- what do you think of my feeling that they're either going to score a bunch or concede a bunch or, or both? It-, it does kind of feel that way, at least early on in the year. I could imagine things quieting down a little bit and then becoming a little more pragmatic I think they were even a little more pragmatic just with the 11 that, that Wayne Rooney started with the two almost true number nines and then you know playing Chris Durkin as a, as a right-sided midfielder, which is not really the spot that we're used to seeing him in. I, I think we could see them become a little bit more defensive as the season goes on, but with the personnel they have, right? And I think the 33 or 16 thing is spot on. Like, it's a weird roster, and I think it is one that could lend itself to really volatile performances from game to game, and maybe the veterans are the ones that sort of steady the ship. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think DC United is a contender. I think they're still probably a, a ways away from that. But a better start to the year for them over the weekend than I envisioned. Also, Taylor, I would say, as someone who's a DMV guy and knows the talent there, the fact that they're going to play homegrowns and allows them to recruit more homegrowns is in itself kind of a miracle for DC because they've yep. wasted that market for 25 years. It is probably on par with LA and New York as or or Dallas as the best markets in for talent and the players have still been produced they just don't play for DC right like they just go straight to Europe or they go to other MLS teams or they or go, they to, go to Portland Eric yeah, Williamson exactly example yeah, yeah. Uh, it is wild the talent alone just in what Maryland heading into DC um like Silver Springs and Bethesda and all oh, of yeah. that so for them to to put these players, I think, in a space where Teddy Pietro as a homegrown, scores the game winner, and Christian Fletcher makes a difference, and the 16-year-old reference, if no one knows, is Matai Akinbone, who at 16 started at center back for like the fourth time, and broke lines, looked good, gave up a penalty, but looked solid, and right now seems to be like the locked-in starter, at least one of the center back spots. That's going to help the club overall for a while, so... They still are not good, but at least there's some <laughs> little sun peeking up yeah. over the crest in the in the far future. 
You are right, though, man. I mean, this is a long time ago, obviously, but from my youth soccer days, the Northern Virginia teams were always the ones that were sending 10 kids to D1 schools, mm-hmm. and and we were sending maybe one. Uh, the only problem with playing club soccer in Maryland, of course, is that you then have to be in Maryland, and nobody wants that. Uh, so that... <laughs> Yeah, that's such rivalry that I didn't even know anyone cared about. (laughs) Between that and then being a Cleveland Browns fan and the fact that uh, they were stolen and moved to Baltimore in the middle of the night, even though the Baltimore residents professed that that was such a heartbreaking thing when the Colts were stolen from them. You guys stole the football team yourselves. Get out of here, Ravens, whatever. And then Ray Lewis, who needs them? Who needs them? Uh, Commanders (laughs) all the way? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Can't even get on board for that one. Uh, Let's just stick in the East, though, Joe. Uh, If DC United aren't going to be good... Uh, aren't going to be as good as maybe I would hope. Uh, Cincinnati, I know you were pretty hyped on them. Uh, at South 75 Soccer asks, what changes does Cincy need to make to take a step forward from last year and meet the expectations many have put on them this year? Happy with the three points, but felt like Houston were the better team though, through significant stretches of the match. I think they've already made some of those moves that, that are trying to get the team to the next level in the Eastern Conference. So they sign... Young center back Mascara uh, from from England. I mean, he's Colombian, but but signing from England. I mean, they're they're adding more depth here. Matt Miazga is going to be here for a full season, right? So there's those kinds of pieces. At the same time, I think there is still there are still weak points in this squad, and, and most of them I think are centered around central midfield. So they have Obina Nwoboto, and they'll have him for the full year as well. And I think that's that's massive. Signed him from Turkey last year as a DP. But then you're looking at some mixture of Junior Moreno and Yuya Kubo next to him. And that, to me, is pretty clearly the, the weak spot on this team. So when you're playing a team like Houston, and they have three very good central midfielders in possession, in Hector Herrera, obviously as the star, Coco Carasquilla, easy for me to say, and then Artur, in that midfield group, almost playing like a triple pivot kind of thing, where it could be any of them dropping in at any given time. Coco is the, the nominal number 10, and he was defending as one in that game. But I mean, there's a lot of fluidity there. I think that gave Cincinnati some problems because the midfield is their weak point in my mind. I'm not worried about them. I think they are going to be very good this season because really they were they were very good last season and the team has only gotten stronger. So to to actually answer the question after that that roundabout way, I think they have gotten better. I think they've already made pretty much all of the moves that we're going to see them make. They've addressed right wing back by signing Arias. I mean, they've improved the team. They are still not perfect. So we are going to see games that they are down a little bit. And this was one of them, but the fact that they came out with three points, I think should be an encouragement for Cincinnati fans in a lot of ways. So I think from your answer, Joe, and I agree is for the most part, tactically, they are there, right? Yeah. The, the the improvements you talked about were personnel, which, as you said, they've already attempted to make a lot of changes. I would add one more name, which is Marco Angulo, who was an under 22 yeah, center mid they yep, brought in. And that's the expectation is he will get he will improve the center midfield spot. 100%. That, you talked about an Arias and Mascara were the other two, and, and those were the three holes on the team. I don't think – I remember in talking to the Cincinnati front office, they did not have as much flexibility as they wanted to because of the mistakes of the past. So I do think they did as much as they could in the confinements that they're in to try and take advantage of what might be a small window with Brenner and Brandon Vasquez and, and Lucho Acosta as the, their central three. And – they are a team that I think most people felt comfortable putting at the top of the Eastern Conference, and that should give them the confidence to do what they did this weekend, which is win games when they're not better. And that's how you sort of win in MLS because there's so much coming at you so fast. It's hard to be great every single week. Uh, I think the three teams I would next like like to discuss uh, would take being great Maybe next week, since they were not great in their opening week. Colorado, Montreal, and Vancouver. Uh, all three teams, uh, Goss, that I previewed and was excited about for different reasons. Colorado, I thought, could be very interesting, but all of their acquisitions out wide were players that might be good, but also might be bad. A 4-0 loss to Seattle tells me they weren't particularly good in that game. Uh, Montreal, I thought, were going to be interesting under Losada, going the youth route uh, and just sort of seeing what can happen there, and what happened there was a 2-0 loss to Miami. Vancouver, similarly, thought made smart acquisitions, I thought would be just a better team than, than they were last season, but they opened up with a 2-1 loss to RSL. So of those three teams, which one do you have the most faith in to be uh, better than they were in the opening weekend? And which team do you think is going to be near the bottom of the table, if not outright winning that spoon? Uh, Joe, we'll come to you first. So I think Vancouver is the team that had the best game of those three in week one. I actually thought they were better than RSL. I think they probably deserved that win. 
And I like a lot of the changes that they made. They went with the back four. It was Julian Gressel inside as a, a right-sided number eight. Like I, I liked a lot of the moves there. It wasn't like an incredible performance, but they've strengthened in goal. They've strengthened in a couple of other spots. I, I like where this team is headed relative to last season. I don't think they're world beaters in the West, but I think they are. They're better, and they are very much in contention for like a, a low-end playoff spot in the Western Conference. So I, I would still be encouraged if I was a Vancouver fan. The other two. Montreal, I just, I don't know what to make of Montreal. Like, it's going to take time, Taylor. You're talking about the youth there. They're missing Milievich as the, the number 10. He was kind of their only real number 10 or, like, even attacking midfield player with any sort of professional experience. And he's out with a, with a knee injury right now. So you mentioned the youth. It's going to take time, right? If Montreal are going to be an interesting team, it's not going to be in week one. It's probably going to be in, like, week 15. So I think the jury's still out on Montreal, but they're undeniably less talented this year than they were last year. You lose Alistair Johnson, Johnston, you lose uh, Georgie Mihalovich. Like, you know, they're, they're not where they're going to be probably after the summer trends window. They're not where they're going to be probably next season as some of these kids continue to develop. But Montreal is the one that I feel least confident projecting exactly what the future is going to look like. Colorado, like, they were just a disaster against Seattle. They tried to high press. It, it didn't really work, although they gave them some problems in the opening stages of that game. I just, Colorado's dealing with a bunch of injuries, so I, I think there are some caveats there. Diego Rubio's out hurt. Jack Price is out hurt. Jonathan Lewis, I think, was was missing in that game. I mean, they are missing a lot of pieces, so they weren't at full strength, but like, I feel like in Goss, maybe you're in a different spot on Colorado. I don't, I just don't have a lot of optimism for them right now. I, I'm not really sure how all the pieces fit together for them. So I, I, I would say on that list, Montreal would be at my bottom. Colorado would have been Fair. second. So I think I slightly agree with you. With Colorado, I would say um, I think Ronan will be a really big piece for them, but it's probably next to Jack Price. And Jack Price was a huge loss for them last year. So he's not a guarantee on health, but Jack Price is an elite ball striker in, in MLS as a deep creator as well as set-piece player. And I think Ronan's activity and movement will unlock him where – one of those two is always going to be an option to play through. And that's where Colorado struggled over the last few years was if Price was in the game and Acosta was in the game, you could just shadow Mark Price because Acosta can't beat you with his passing. And Max wasn't consistent enough. And whoever else they've played in there hasn't been good enough. To me, in game one, I saw at least that Ronan is. And I think that's going to be a pretty big step forward for them. Diego Rubio is the huge loss. And he went, he got surgery yesterday. They're saying two to five weeks. That span makes me think they have no idea what's going on, and that worries me. Someone said, oh, it's probably just inflammation, how he reacts. I don't know. How often is it a three-week span when it could be two weeks, and then it could be like a large chunk of the season that feels like negative news for them, and he's probably the irreplaceable piece for them of just consistency at the center forward position because, as you said, everyone else is a could-be, but maybe won't be. Taylor and Kevin Cabral mm -hmm. in Jonathan Lewis in Darren Yappy in M Michael Barrios, right? They all can have their games, but you don't expect it from them every single week. Rubio was the one in the attack you would, uh, but they clearly thought they needed to upgrade in the goalkeeper position. He was not there this weekend because of visa issues. So it feels like from week two on already, they're going to be in a stronger spot than they were. So I feel pretty safe on Colorado that they'll contend for a playoff spot and that they are a team that will know who they are. It's just, you know, four or five starters changing going into the start of the season. That's going to take a little bit of time. Montreal, I would just add, uh, I agree with Joe, by the way. I feel okay about Vancouver. They just need to finish. And I don't know that players on the field, but it'll happen sometimes by accident. Uh, the thing with Montreal that I would add to the talent is Losada. You're changing system while changing players in a tough moment. And so the odds of that working are lower because there's just more variance there. And if you were in a, a bubble, I think to say, take the best of Wilfred Nance's game model and add it with the best of Hernan Losada's game model. Boom. That's an MLS cup contender, right? High pressing, creating chances out of possession as well as in possession. But you lost a lot of what Nance had. So I don't know that you're getting the best of both. At the same time, and it's unproven that Hernan Losada can even bring the best of his game model to MLS. So there's a ton of question marks in Montreal that go past just the loss of massive talent. 
That is the reason why I was so excited for Montreal, just to pay attention to them, because it could be good, maybe. Yeah. It could be interesting. It could also just be a full-on like anarchy fire, and I don't know what will happen there, but that makes them interesting viewing the- for me. Uh, for week two, uh, are there teams that you all are more excited to watch, maybe ones that you didn't uh, get to get like that much of an eye on or didn't get to watch? You can say either the LA teams if you want to, Goss, uh, but who are some teams that you are most excited to watch in week two? Well, I would say the LA teams are obviously on that list, but then you have the teams where they had big pieces that weren't here yet. So, like, we think Giacomakis, the designated player center forward for Atlanta, could get his visa and be ready to play. And Atlanta's roster is so thin that that's a huge difference, right? You go from, sorry, Jackson Conway to a designated player center forward. That's probably as big a positional quality gap as you can make in Major League Soccer. So that's one of those teams where it it's not will they make a signing they already did and it's sort of how you'll see them you know line up and i think that one's going to be fun for for all of us to watch to see okay if there's a legit center forward in there and you add Derek Etienne healthy and Tiago Almada like this team again they could give up a lot of goals and score a lot of goals which is fun to watch joe i don't know how you feel about that this is i know you were starting to get the the Jackson Conway like face tattoo on yeah. your bicep. Yep. Did you end up pulling that one off, or are you holding off now that Goss is wary? Well, so I, I was going, but then I realized that my tattoo artist was the same as Richarlison's tattoo artist, um, <laughs> and we saw how that went for him at the World Cup with his back piece. So I did decide to hold off. I'm still planning it's to get wise. one. I just got to find a, a different a different person to do it. Um, I will say so- <laughs> from experience, I do think the Conway family might stump a little money for that if you want it okay. done. They are very okay. active in promoting his career. From experience, Goss's uh Goss's make account taking some uh taking some benefit there. He, I, he uh, got he got the full back piece, Goss did. Oh right, right. That that <laughs> checks out. That didn't surprise me. Um so for me, week two, yeah, the LA teams are, are kind of the obvious one here. The other one is just I want to see St. Louis again. Like they're playing at home, so you have the atmosphere here that is is going to be a massive deal, it seems like, in St. Louis. The first ever home game of Major League Soccer against Charlotte. Plus, if they win, then I get to make fun of Ryan Bailey. So this kind of feels like a win-win to me. Like <laughs> I don't, plus. I don't see any plus. downside here, except if Charlotte win, and then I, I'm kind of in a tough spot. But hmm. St. Louis, again, to see what they look like and what they look like at home is, is another one for me. I would add uh, Columbus. As I said, Philly are Giants. That's sort of the mm-hmm. untouchable task. Now, week two, coming home, D.C. United... Um, you know, can they create chances for Cucho? Will they score five goals as expected? So that would be the other one that stands out. All right, guys. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time. Joe Lowry, excellent as always, my friend. Yeah, right back at you, Taylor. This was fun. And David Goss, this isn't your first appearance on Total Soccer Show, I don't think, but it's it's your first in a while at the very least. It is, yeah. My my first since I went to Europe, got a bunch of games, became a club legend somewhere else, and now I'm returning back to MLS at a new club. But one that I'm really excited to be a part of until Becky G tells us we're moving to another city. <laughs> uh, well, David, we really do. I uh, really did uh, enjoy having you. It's great uh, to have more knowledge when it comes to MLS, and 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 hopefully we haven't scared you off. Hopefully uh, you'll be back to talk more MLS as the season goes. I'm bringing all my thick boy knowledge. <laughs> That's all we can ask. Uh, Well, gentlemen, thank you again. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again very soon. 